0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Carter, and thank you for joining me on a podcast for parents, teachers, and administrators. Today's conversation should be a good one, and I'm sure it's something on your mind. So let's get to it. All right, so thank you so much, Nikki, for joining me. I should call you Nicole. Um, Nikki is fine. (laughs) So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? and how you're connected to education. Okay, well, thanks for inviting me. I'm,
1: I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, my name is Nicole Shabazz and I am affectionately known as Nikki in my entire life. So Nikki is absolutely okay. But I am an educator, and uh currently i am a school librarian so i refer to myself as a library professional meaning that i've worked extensively in public libraries as well as school libraries from k through 12. currently i am an elementary librarian and um i consider myself a reading evangelist i mean i believe that reading is the gateway to all learning Mm -hmm. and i think that being proficient in reading and having a desire to read really opens the door to success for all kids. You know, it it is the key that opens the door. Mm -hmm. And so I spend the bulk of my career uh, really advocating for students who are not proficient in reading and students who can read but lack the desire to read. And so Mm -hmm. in the reading world, we call that reading reluctance. And uh, so much of that is tied to historical um things um in our in our society and so when children don't necessarily see themselves in books naturally they can be less affected by what they read and so I spend a bulk of my time really trying to dig into what young people love and enjoy and then trying to make it relevant and resonant for them.
0: Nice. So I mean I of course being a former English teacher I mean, I'm definitely not reading reluctant, but um, my my son, Ian, started out really loving reading. And as he got further and further into it, he got more and more reluctant. But we can talk about that later. What do you want to talk about? What are we talking about?
1: Yeah, well, I actually think that's appropriate. And I think it's actually typical for black boys in particular. Mm -hmm. I hear a lot of people say, you know, black boys just don't seem to like to read, you know, like girls do. And what I've found in my profession, in the early grades, black boys are as excited about reading as any other child. And what I started to see is that that taper off around the upper levels of elementary. So around fourth and fifth grade, you kind of see this market decline in -hmm. their interest in reading. Hmm. Um, And again, a lot of that goes back to, I think a lot of it goes back to just that coming of age masculinity and getting cues from some people that maybe books are not the thing that boys should ascribe to. Hmm. Um, Another part of that is they don't necessarily see themselves in books. And then yet another part of that is that in most library collections in schools, we are heavily focused on literature and stories that girls most resonate with than boys. So our nonfiction literature, you know, that kind of yucky, gross, fun stuff that boys like, we tend not to have as many of those yes. books.
0: Yes, yes. And that's, you know <laughs> yes. what? I, that is exactly what happened. He was an avid reader until he got to middle school. And mm-hmm. it became more literature heavy. So he wasn't able to read Captain Underpants. His favorite book when he was little was Zombie Buds from Uranus. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Of course. <laughs> right, you right. So, um, and it got heavier and heavier. And then by the time he got to um eighth grade and middle school, they read the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. Oh. Which okay. he was like, that's great. But he's like, this uh-huh. is so boring. I don't ever want to read again. And when uh-huh. he said that <laughs> It was like me, I I literally have a library in my house. I have an entire Mm -hmm. room devoted to the the celebration of books and to have my boy who, I mean, he, he was building a library, he had a huge bookshelf, like to know that that was the stopping point hurt every part of my heart, you know. It's like, you know, like those little old black ladies in movies and they're like, you know, their kid says, I don't love Jesus. And they're like, oh my God. You know, I had a moment like that where I was like, <laughs> right. you have to love books, you know, but he really struggled. <laughs> Absolutely. With, he really struggled with that literature stuff. And yeah. So, yeah. And so it is typical. So how do you think we get around that? Like, you know what i i try to say okay if you don't want to read that read this blog about sneakers read this blog about skateboarding mm-hmm. teach yourself how to do this that or the other but what would you suggest when when kids get to that point where you you start to see that decline what can parents mm-hmm. do to be like no, let's keep it you know let's know you know right well i well i
1: think what you said jen was the right thing i think you have to give children voice and choice. I think we have to realize in particular um, for boys that they may not necessarily read a book from cover to cover, but they might read a blog. They might might read a magazine. They might read, you know, a short article. So we have to praise and recognize the reading that they do. You know, in this digital world, kids are reading just as much as if they were reading a book. In a digital format and we have to give respect to young people for the things that they like to read and i think we have to also engage and converse with them around what they read i think it is so Mm -hmm. typical for us to assign reading for young people you know to tell them during the summer make sure you you know read 10 books over the summer and log those books but then we never get back to really exploring what Mm. children really enjoyed about reading and building those relationships. And so while there are a lot of commonalities, um, especially for African-American males, males of color in general, we still have to realize that children are in their individual selves and we have to find the way in. And so I talk not just about culturally relevant books, that's a you know really popular term, but I talk about what's resonant for young people. Mm. And so sometimes a book or a subject may resonate that is irrespective of culture per se. I remember uh, my first or second year as an elementary librarian, and I read a book uh, to the class, and at the end of the story time, a little boy just burst out crying, and he came up, and he hugged me, and he was sad, but he was happy. He was like a kindergartner, and the story was about a parent, in the story, a parent had passed away, and his mom had died like maybe six Months before, and oh. so that was a story that deeply resonated with him, you know. But also to hear that during story time it was being addressed with the loss of a parent was like he was happy that that was being discussed. So hmm. you know that really at that point really you know spoke to me about really digging into what's resonant for children, you know. But and you know so what? that's about building relationships.
0: I think what uh-huh. you say about resonating means that we as teachers and parents and even administrators we have to take the time to have just conversations to understand what they're interested in so yes you can't get to the part where you resonate until you get you have that that crucial part of the relationship building and because absolutely we're we're facilitators of what they read and what they get exposed to we can kind of curate existences around kids. Like I'm always suggesting a reading to somebody. Oh, you mm-hmm. would love this. Oh, you would love that. Because, you know, I'm, I'm talking to folks and I get a chance to, to hear what's on their mind. So I can, it's like referring them to a restaurant. Oh, you like Chinese food, exactly. go to this place. You know, exactly. And I think that's really good insight. And that's a really important point to make that we got to pause in that moment and have Mm -hmm. much more conversation around what they're reading, which kind of leads to the next thing. Are those summer book lists even? You know what? (laughs) I think it can be
1: a starting point, again, because you have to meet children where they are, and children, of course, are at different levels. So I think there are references. But again, going back to building those relationships, You know, I, I almost consider myself like a book concierge. Just last week, I literally in one day got four texts from somebody who was 17 to someone my age asking about book lists for various things. So, uh, my my goddaughter for example was one of the texts. She's 32 and she's about to have her first baby. So she's like, "God Mommy, make me that book list for, you know, the little ones, you know." And then I had a, you know, a good friend who wanted a, she was well, she was sharing a book with me that she thought that i would really like and she while she was asking me to create a book list and she says i'm sure you probably read the book before and i said yeah i have some book club stuff about it and she just laughed you know she said i knew it when i said that but part of why the ask is there is one i have the relationships but two i have the competency to be able to provide the resources. And of course that's because I'm a professional, but I don't know these things just off of the top of my head. Part of it is I am a voracious reader. So that is elemental, I think, to being able to build the relationships with young people and to recommend reading. But also in my profession, we use selection tools. So school library journal, for example, um, the Horn Book and Book lists. Those are three selection tools that librarians rely on to give us, you know, very good book reviews and help us kind of narrow down what books we're going to select for our collections and recommend for our youngsters so that i think those things are important
0: can you say the name of those again so that folks can can use those tools sure absolutely so school library journal
1: book list and the horn book um, in particular so there are others i also rely on we need diverse books so it is a Campaign that got started around 2013 and 2014. Um, a very prominent African American author, he since passed away, Walter Dean Myers, who I love tremendously. Yeah. He did an op ed piece. Yeah, he did an op ed piece about where were the black books for children? You know, they they really weren't out there. The publishers weren't putting the books out there. And even when there were books coming out about black children, there were largely white authors uh, writing those books. And so a study was done and there there was a dearth of black books. I wanna say something like in that year, five to 6%, there were more books written about animals than there were about children of color. And so that, Peace just set off a firestorm in the writing and publishing uh, industry. And it led to the birth of We Need Diverse Books. So uh, viewers and listeners to the podcast can go to need org, And they give a lot of information about really good multicultural, culturally relevant books. They provide uh, reading guides for books. Um, They often have author spotlights and so it's a really great resource in particular for uh, culturally relevant materials. But yeah, we have to rely on a lot of those tools because there's so much out there to be able to distill what is really good literature for young people. And I have to make that kind of disclaimer because everything that's written out there is not of great quality. And so we have to also be thoughtful and evaluative when we're thinking about the books that we want to share with young people, particularly Mm -hmm. children of color, because we have to be sensitive to their experiences. And when we can, we want to rely on what we call our own voices, people who are writing books who are coming from that culture and that experience.
0: Mm -hmm. I wonder also if we could utilize kids, you know, and especially now with, with people being so distant from each other during COVID, if we could use those books, book lists and have the kids review them and read them and tell whether or not they liked them and why. And, you know, Absolutely. kids are honest, I would find that probably pretty hilarious to hear their review. <laughs> but then also, you know, it would be a good way to give them kind of a little bit more ownership and agency in the things that they read. You know, using Absolutely. the book list as a resource for vetting what's on the book list. Because if I give feedback from a, a, a reader and he says, I used to love reading, but now I'm never reading again, I'm going to take the book that, that pushed him over the edge off of my, my list, you know, <laughs> right. um, that's yeah. just me. I know some people yeah. wouldn't yeah. do that, but, you know, it's it's good feedback for us to to get the kids involved. Are there oh, any absolutely other, yeah what other kind of ways can we get kids involved and hear what they want to read absolutely i
1: think the review is very key and i know a lot of librarians do rely on that heavily um and they tend to rely on reviews where they've asked the kid just to pick a book and then to share how they feel about books one of the things that i do with my young people is i will share a cadre of books and ask them just to kind of peruse the book to judge a book by its cover what is it that is attracting you to the book Mm. you know what is it that you like about the cover read you know a couple of pages just jump in maybe not read it the first page but jump now i'm in the process of completing a book for african-american and latino boys called engaging boys of color at the library proven strategies for reading achievement so that book should be coming out summer of 2021 and i have a whole chapter where i talk about ask the experts and you know for somebody who's just reading the book they're going to assume that the experts mean professionals like myself but in experts i'm actually referring to those boys of color mm-hmm. ask them what it is and again going back to building that relationship sharing this information about selection tools giving them the information the knowledge the resources and empowering them to then go out in pursuit of books so that that they can come back and share so Mm -hmm. during my time for instance at the cleveland public library i had a kid that shared with me you know manga and anime is you know a really big deal for a lot of boys and just comic books in general are making a comeback in in what we call graphic novels and i had a young boy that um recommended the legend of montamuji i believe it is and it was about a black superhero you know we hear a lot about black panther i would never heard about this guy um before and i looked it up and i got on the phone and i called our acquisitions department asked them you know had they heard of the book they had it, so they ordered the the graphic novels um and so he was so empowered that being able to notify me about that and I, i'm on it you know and to be able to go from just him giving me that information and being able to go to the acquisitions department to make sure that that book is now part of the collection is empowering because it says to an everyday patron that you have a role to play in what those materials are that we find on shelves. So I think that's very important for young people because once they have that opportunity, then they're not just receivers of information, they're a part of the process, which exactly. also ties into, I think, which is equally important. We talk a lot about reading, but I think the relationship between reading and writing is also so mm-hmm. important as well. That now gives our young people an opportunity to express. So reading, as Pam Allen says of Lit World, reading is breathing in, but writing is breathing out. And I Ooh, think that has to be elemental. I love
0: that. Because, you know, what's really interesting is I know that your specialty area is boys of color, but um, my experience as a teacher, so I, I taught in, um, in a suburb right outside of Philadelphia called Upper Derby. And mm-hmm. we, it was super, super diverse, but some of my most reluctant readers were not black boys. They were just white boys. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say white boys, they were white high school boys because they were having an experience just like the black boys where they're like why is this this is not about me you know right. even when we right. read something like um catcher in the rye they could relate to holden but they were like you know this kid is rich and i'm poor and i'm stuck right here. you know i had right. this situation at home and they still couldn't see themselves so i right. think what you're talking about is we can underscore it for them but i think boys in general really get shafted when we talk about curating collections for them to read because absolutely they we tend to steer them towards to the stereo i mean that's where stereotypes live you know uh-huh. here's the boy section here read this book about cars or read this book where it's a spy hero or you know and it doesn't really give them a lot of variety about things that they can explore either it doesn't. And so
1: you're right. So it's, it's almost universal that that can be said to be true about boys in general. And it goes back again, not just the cultural piece, but the resonant piece. It mm-hmm. just doesn't resonate. Um, so we have to be mindful about that. And, and keep in mind too, just like in the education world, in the school library world, in the public library world, it is dominated by white women. And mm-hmm. so that also shapes your collection, it shapes reading preferences, you know, it shapes the materials that are available in libraries. And so it, it causes us to really take pause and think about who, our patrons are and patrons are not just the people who come in the library patrons are all the young people and what it is that we need to do to bring them into the library and make them Mm. want to be a part of the library and so what i say to educators in a school library setting is you have a captive audience and so now what are you going to do to connect that captive audience similarly i said to public librarians is you have an audience that comes into your branches how will you captivate them you have to be able to make those connections and to again give honor and respect to boys for what it is they like to read and make that shift it isn't you're, you're here to provide a service so it's not about what mm-hmm. you like necessarily mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. about what is going to draw those boys so a similar example is street literature is very popular. It is what very now, tell popular. Me what's
0: that what is that? What is street literature?
1: So uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Kwan or uh I think it's Niobia Brian, um uh Zane. Have you ever heard of Zane books? So they, they tend to be more rough, edgy. They may deal with issues of maybe you know drug culture. Um the books may touch, a lot of the books may touch heavily on, you know, sexual, you know, situations, uh, uh, very gritty books. There, but there are some very great books, you know, because I've read a lot of reviews on the books. And again, we have preferences in what we read, but what I remain mindful of is not about what I particularly enjoy reading reading, if these books are flying off the shelves in the public library, someone's reading those books. And so it is our obligation to make sure that our collection is plentiful so that when people come and they're looking for the books that speak to them, they're able to check those books out. And so that requires a shift in our thinking,
0: you know, so that we open the door for all. What's really interesting is when you list those books. So I my parents were not readers. Um, they didn't go to college. They were like, you're smart, go read, hang out in the library. But <laughs> when I was in fourth grade, I came across like stuff that I had no business reading. I was reading Flowers in the Attic. I had read mm-hmm. all of the Stephen King books. So I'm yeah. reading about incest. I'm reading about murder and ghosts. Mm-hmm. My little fourth grade brain was like, what the cuss is this stuff?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But
0: parents often struggle with ways to talk to their kids about difficult subject matter. And if you're telling me this stuff is flying off the shelves, what I see is an opportunity for parents to talk to kids about stuff that they're uncomfortable talking to them about. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Or at least, yeah, yeah,
1: or at least allowing a door to open so that kids can have those conversations. And sometimes they won't be at home, but again, that's also an aspect that a professional librarian can explore with a literature uh, circle or a book club. So some kids won't, even if the door is open to that, some kids won't have those conversations with their parents, but there has to be a way to be able to have those conversations. Um, One book, when I was a high school teacher, they they couldn't keep the book on the shelf. And this was before I became a school librarian. It was Sister soldier
0: um nicole we are dating ourselves We're old. but now people are gonna know how old we are <laughs> yes yes hi i want to interrupt the podcast for just a second i want to do a couple of things the first thing i would like to do is to invite you to subscribe to this podcast you can give us a thumbs up hit the subscribe button and you'll be notified every week when there's a new podcast episode. The second thing, which is really the exciting thing is that I want you, yes you, to join me on this podcast. If you go to our podcast page on our website, which is learningcenter.com, there's a contact us sheet. Fill out that sheet and send it to me and we can possibly get you scheduled so that you can join me on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And now let's get back to the conversation. But
1: well, when I tell you that book couldn't stay on the shelf, when I, my second year as a librarian, the book came out precious. It was yes. called, the book was called Push, but the movie was Precious.
0: Right.
1: I could not keep that book in the library i mean it was just i mean just wouldn't get returned it just literally would not get returned so we know these are stories that speak to young people and so you have we have to get comfortable in our uncomfortableness and i had to recognize that even as a librarian at that time like i was thinking to myself at first oh my god i don't know if this is Really appropriate for a middle school. Exactly. You know, I'm saying this, and then I'm reminding myself too a part of my mission as a librarian is never to censor, but always to provide the, the information in as much an age appropriate way as possible, and then open a the door to having a conversation. And so, through a book club, we were able to do that. And so, that's why it's so important not to just send children off to read and not unpack. What they've read, mm-hmm. no matter what that is. So I remember, I remember having a situation or you know a conversation with my niece who is now a tenth grader, but she was in fifth grade at the time, and um, I loved her teacher, real progressive white lady, um, but she assigned the kids, the Secret Life of No, it wasn't the Secret Life of Bees. Um, the Invention of Wings by Sue Monk Kid. and um, it was such a heavy book about slavery I read the book along with her and I was a little baffled that she didn't really go and she didn't unpack that book and so I had to have that conversation with her one just because I don't care what child it was that book was so heavy you really Mm -hmm. had to unpack and you really had to have a lot of conversations around it and you really had to spend time that the curriculum didn't allow her to really give so then you got to think about is that is that appropriate right book? Right. at that time, um, and it also, as a white woman, you know, so much of what that book dealt with, I could imagine her cringing having this conversation with a ninety percent African American class, and see, and so sometimes you have to bring again own voices, you have to bring others into the conversation so that we can get the level of authenticity I think is necessary to allow children to open up. My niece wasn't comfortable opening up about things, you know, in the book, even when they had opportunities to discuss, you know, because of that. So I think we, you know, it's a double-edged sword on the one hand, we have to make those stories available, but we also have to really create safe spaces so young people can Mm -hmm. feel comfortable. Young sharing, whatever it is they like to read, because during the research for my book, some of the interviews that I had with black males that are authors now was around their embarrassment because they were readers as young people and how they were bullied because of that. Mm -hmm. And they didn't feel that they, you know, they would hide their books in their book back. Like they didn't feel comfortable riding the school bus reading because especially by high school, because that was deemed something that you were punk if you did that.
0: And Because we we've was. made reading so feminine, you know. Yes. We always say, yes. oh, my girls love to read, but my boys don't." Like, and that's but. our fault, you know. We didn't put those mm-hmm. folks in; they didn't put them that that stigma on reading. That that's that's us. It
1: and is. when I say
0: us, I even think teachers, you know. Oh yeah. Like I think teachers just take for granted that boys aren't going to read a lot. When mm-hmm. I know that they do, I witnessed, like I said. Um, I have, he's not my real nephew, but my my little nephew loves to read. He reads Mm -hmm. all the time. And then he also has like a little podcast that he does. And he's always sending links and, you know, auntie, look at this, auntie, look at that. And, you know, just sharing what he's done and what he's exploring, what he's read about. And I would never in a million years assume that reading is for a boy or a girl thing. I just... Everybody should love to read, you know? Yes. My yes, question reading is, is thinking. Reading yeah. is thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, why don't you read? You know, I, I don't right. look at it like, oh, you're a boy, you don't read. I'm like, why? What's wrong with you? You know? Right, right. Um, right, right, right. But, you know, I also feel like parents don't necessarily read a lot. I know the parents that we have in our school, at my preschool. So, Tree Learning Center has a preschool but it also has a school age program. And so we're in San Bernardino. We have a wide array of economic situations, which means we have a wide array of, wide array of work situations. We mm-hmm. work two jobs and they're single parents or have three kids and they're single parents and they don't have a lot of time to read. But what can I, get th- what can I do to get them to read more?
1: Right. So it is a fact that a lot of uh, the lack of reading that we see societally has to do with the fact that adults don't read. So there's a lot of data out there that shows that after high school, most de- most adults never read a full book from cover to cover in their life. So for me, oh my God, that just is, you know, I'm clutching pearls here, right? I mean, like look, that, at me, right? look. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> holding my head, my heart hurts. Right. A couple right. of Yes right but I but again also I'm always still reminding myself just as you said people are dealing with so many other different immediate needs I happen to be somebody who I, I think I was just a natural born reader and so when things come to us easily and we and love them and enjoy them and we're empowered by them and we see the value in them it's easy for us to get kind of you know s- snobbish if you will and think you know why isn't everybody doing this you know there's a reason why other people aren't doing it and and they're valid reasons. And so because we know the value of reading, it's our role to find a way in for everybody. So again, as you know, as I mentioned before, you know, they may not read a book from cover to cover, but a great article, a, a quick piece that only takes a couple of minutes, and to build a conversation, a really robust, interesting conversation around it is going to draw someone to want to read a little bit more about that. And so you might have to do it in incremental steps um reading audiobooks i mean so for me being so busy that's how i get a lot of my reading and now listening to podcasts you know reading you know detailed information that may be in social media you know so the biggest thing for me about around reading with adults and children is having a conversation around it you know so asking children you know whatever that topic is let's dive deeper into what we've read, because reading really is about communication. So Mm -hmm. somebody, you're reading somebody who is expressing their viewpoint, their ideas. So, you know, conversely, when you're writing, you're doing the same thing. So that whole idea, the written language is about expression and communication. And that's really what we wanna focus more on than saying to a person, you need to read 500 pages in a book,
0: Mm -hmm. you
1: know? And And I think parents
0: can get around that. And making it much more about, hey, like I send stuff. So my Ian, and here's the interesting, about, interesting thing about Ian. So he graduated from Dartmouth, right? He graduated from Dartmouth mm-hmm. in June. And it's not like you don't read when you go to Dartmouth. Sure. Right? <laughs> so Or probably, any college, you better be reading. <laughs> right. So it's not like he hung up his, his, his reading glasses, so to speak. Right. Um. And now that he's a, a working person, when I send him articles about business, he finds a time to read them if they are something he can use. So he right. was trying to navigate around a, a colleague. And I was like, here, just read this, you know? So he read it mm-hmm. um, from the Harvard Business Review. There's like a 20 page article about how to negotiate relationships when you're at work. Mm-hmm. Now, that again, that's not like that's not a fun or easy read. But because he was interested, because of, he was relevant, he was right. able to read it. And it it goes back to what you've been saying about conversations and finding things that resonate. I think what we have to do, those of us who are in the care of children, we have to be very active about finding things for their parents to read, so they can right. see their parents reading. Even right. if they're on their phone and they say, mom, mom, mom. And one of the, one, two things, one of two things that people will say is I'm on the phone, right? Or mm-hmm. what we want them to say is I'm reading something because right. can actually hear, I'm reading something. Give me a minute. You know what I mean? Right. Because right. It gets into their subconscious to understand I have a, a cell phone, but this is a conduit for information also. Exactly. Because we, exactly. I, I think we, we do us readers with my, our little sacred libraries. We do get a little bit snobby when we see people on their phone reading, you know, Ian read 20 pages of that article on his phone. Mm-hmm. now I could trash him because he didn't read the actual book version. Cause I had the book version. <laughs> or I can just acknowledge that he still read the pages, you know? Absolutely. And, and did he get the, the information? Was it useful for him? You know, because then again, we had a robust conversation, you know? exactly. exactly. And so again, when I think about him and I transfer that to how I think about parents and how I think about people who are not natural readers like you and I, then then we who are working with parents even teachers, because I, I tell you, I was, I've been shocked at how frequently teachers don't want to read something. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. And I'm like, it's a how, thing. That, <laughs> how is that possible? Yes. yes. But again, yes. you know, mm-hmm. moving yourself out of that place of judgment and moving yourself into, let me, let me put your shoes on so mm-hmm. that I can identify something that is going to be for you and not for me, you know? Right.
1: Right, because it is really the what's in it for me aspect. I mean, yes. again, for all of us, even those of us who love to read, we get, we get something out of that, and that's, that's why true. we continue to do it. And so we have to be mindful that not everybody, you know, one of the things I always say to my young people is I want you to read for learning, leisure, and life. You know, and so that while that's the goal, not everybody will read just for learning. Not everybody will choose reading as a leisure pastime. But we do want them to have the lifelong skills so that reading is a tool that they can draw on when necessary. Mm -hmm. Now, my argument would be it's always necessary, but people won't necessarily read it for fun or, uh, you know, again, for leisure. But if they know that reading is a tool just like a hammer that will allow them to do something, to create something, to fashion something, to get them from one level to the next, then I think that's the sale that we wanna make you know, for parents and for children. And so when you talk about you know, modern, like you said, you happen to be in a situation where your parents weren't readers, but you were a smart kid. So just you know, your inquisitive nature opened the door for you to become a reader. I was a a smart kid, but I also had a model, my mother read voraciously. So I always saw that, you know, as a child, my grandmother read, my mother read, I had an aunt who read, my aunt read the newspaper religiously, you know? And so that was her mode. And she liked to read, you know, steamy novels, you know, like the Harlequin, you know, kind of stuff. But I always remembered that, you know, my grandmother, dropped out. Of, she had my mom at 15 and she dropped out of school in middle school. And she was very intelligent because she read. My mother, you know, just went, had a high school education. My aunt just had a high school high, education. But I would watch the two of them in conversation, you know, as a child. And these were highly intelligent women. So I was able to glean that reading was the key. To that level of intellect, even if you didn't have a formal education, although they all pushed me to have that education. So in my family, you know, I was regarded as the college material because I'm a first time, you know, the first person to graduate from college. So that spoke to me, you know, about the power of reading, um, and and just that it gave ideas, but it also helped to produce ideas that made you become a part of the whole reading landscape, you know, the ecosystem. And so that's what I try to convey to young people, that reading is thinking and, you know, because as smart as you may be, you can't think every thought. Somebody's going to have ideas that, you know, resonate, that um, may speak to what you already think, but then somebody may have an idea that you didn't even think was possible. And it may open the door for you to explore something altogether different it may open the door for you to learn about a different culture in a different way that other people live. And so it really is about us being a communicative, us being a part of humanity and interfacing with others. When we can't always physically do that, a book or reading will allow us to do so.
0: What well, is so interesting that you say that, like, you know, when I was in the classroom full time, kids would always be like, can we do this or can we do that? Um, even here at the center, they'll say, um, they wanted to have cell phone cause we don't have any technology here. Um, oh, wow, and it's, okay. it's, it's, really interesting now because the kids are doing distance learning. So yes. we, we didn't even have the, we don't have, well, I shouldn't say didn't, we still don't have the bandwidth to have all these kids on their computers. Cause we have two, two computers in the office and I bring a laptop those are literally the only things that really use the network so the kids were lobbying to have um, to bring their cell phones the older kids and i said well you need to bring me some proof and when i say proof i don't mean like i feel like you know i want you know (laughs) my mom said i was like bring me some data and statistics on why cell phones are useful to young people and don't you know those kids They, on their own time, when they got home, they were looking up what are, what are good uses of cell phones? Mm -hmm. Why would you need a cell phone? How do you use a cell phone? So that when they came to me, they had these presentations laid out. And I know that they didn't like just get these randomly. They were telling me data and statistics, which meant not only did they read it, they understood it and they understood that it would be useful in their argument to combat me.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yep. So I think sometimes parents forget, like, even as a parenting practice, oh, you want to stay out late? Well, give me some statistics to say that you're going to be safe when you go out. And then I'll listen to you. Exactly. And if you have a a student, like I would have definitely been like, let me go on the internet. Let me go get this book. Let me read this magazine article so that my parents will let me sneak out and go to splash in the flats. In the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> right, right, um, right. So I think what you were saying about intelligence really strikes a chord with me because in order to read and understand and then use it, that other piece, that use it piece, that's why you read. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily read because your eyes drag across. You don't necessarily read because you know, you get like, you know, you just like the vocabulary you read because you get transported somewhere else because you're using your imagination or you read because it gives you better arguing skills or it gives you something to talk about, or it helps you relate to people because you're using what you read. And I mean, we can circle all the way back to the beginning, which is a lot of boys, you know, boys of color, don't necessarily find any use in what they read, you know, a lot of parents don't find use. So I think your point, I, you know, to, to kind of go back to what you were saying, I think your point about, you know, that there is this, this connection between cognition and reading, but we have to make sure that people understand that so that they understand that reading is why you read it's because you can then use the information and absolutely literally be smarter you know absolutely it builds and sort of
1: i heard you mention vocabulary and so you know there's a science to reading as well so we're talking about you know reading out of enjoyment reading you know for academic purposes you know but reading is not a natural process i think um, if if I wanted to convey something, you know, to parents in this conversation, that would be the big thing as as well. And even to some educators, I think people are misinformed when they think that, you know, reading is natural. It is not. It is a taught practice and it, you know, there's a science to it. And most everybody can learn to read, but they have to be taught to read. And so that goes back to where you are, you know, in the work that you do in This early learning space, you know, our emergent readers, and how, you know, drawing that focus on the importance of reading as they're emerging is so pivotal into them becoming proficient Mm -hmm. people who love to read. And so, you know, we're focused a lot on that in the library world as we learn more about the science of the brain and about how important it is, again, that modeling piece. For kids to see reading for kids to be able to develop rich language around reading you know because you know, students always say to me, you know, members of my family are looking look at college material using those big words. Well, part of that is because my I have a repertoire based on what I read. You know, so the more you read, those words just kind of get thrown in your brain. And, you know, what I explain to young people, when you have that repertoire, it doesn't have anything to do with you being a smart person. But if I have a repertoire of 5,000 words in my bank, and you only have 50 words what you express is going to be less rich than what I express, although we may be literally thinking the same thing. I have more to draw from than you. And right. that simply comes from my exposure to language, you know, and that's the power of reading. And then again, that ability helps you to be a better writer when you want to express your thoughts and ideas mm-hmm. so those are symbiotic relationships that we have to create you know for young people and and we also have to remember remember that a lot of our parents didn't necessarily have the best experience when they were in school and so yeah. Their ability to you know or desire even to model that they may not have necessarily seen value in it so i'm a fervent believer that if you can convince people of the value in something they will give it the attention we give time to those things that we know matter and we've seen you know proven results that they matter but again we recognize people the way they do it and we herald that as they move deeper and deeper to into their relationship with reading
0: well i don't know if we could say anything better than that because <laughs> <laughs> that is 100 percent spot on and like i said um you gave a bunch of really good resources um, we'll put those all into the the notes for the show after the podcast is put up so that people can find the selection tools. I'm going to see if I can find that op-ed um, by okay. Walter Dean Myers as well and put yes. a link up there. Um, do, you, do you have uh, the, is this the engaging books that are engaging books at the library or um, do you have a link to your book or like how are we going to find what you've written? Well- well, I'll share the, the book cover and the information, just a little blurb about the book. I'll share that with
1: you so you can also share that in the podcast. Um, there's just so much out there, you know, that for young people to enjoy. Um, I just wanted to share just three recent books for kids in your, you know, realm, the, the young people. One is called Rogue Baby. You may be familiar. You may have seen this book I already by Mahogany that. Brown. You have you suggested Baby? Okay. that, so I have that okay. one. So you have Rogue well, Baby, and I know this one is really popular now, Anti-Racist Baby, okay. Ingram X. Kendi. So, you know, he wrote um, Stamp from the Beginning and um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. So this book is it's actually his daughter on the cover. So this is just an adorable book, a newer one. And uh, just a recent one I picked up, too, I Love Me by Sally Morgan and Amberlynn Kwamelina. So these are three really great resources. Yes, yes. And it's just more and more out there. But I just love the fact that the publishing world is really jumping in. These are all board books. And they're really jumping in and recognizing that reading starts before children are even reading, that they're watching, that they're seeing us, that they're touching, that they're feeling, and that once they see themselves in books, they have an expectation. And it's our job to meet those expectations for our youth.
0: Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you talking to me, and I feel like I have a whole bunch of other questions. I may have to text you after this is over and put some more show notes and get some more questions answered, <laughs> but I really appreciate you making the time to talk to me today.
1: Absolutely. No problem. It was my pleasure anytime.
0: So that's our conversation for today. I hope you found some information that was interesting or a perspective that you hadn't thought of if you like what you heard or even if you have some feedback put a comment in our comment section be sure to like our page and make sure that you subscribe so that you can hear when the next video comes out thanks so much again for joining us